everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, day three of the MLS is back tournament is in the books. How are you? I'm I'm better than I was yesterday. Honestly, yesterday I, it was rough. That early game plus the late game, the later game. It wasn't even the latest game we're going to see, but I was struggling. I feel much more energetic today, so hopefully I can continue whatever rhythm I did today worked. So um, trying to get in my routine, right? It is weird trying to figure out how to cover these games and stay sane at the same time. Um, we're working on it. We are. So today we are here to talk about the matchup between the Seattle Sounders and the San Jose Earthquakes, which ended 3 Two, one, in a nil-nil draw. Nil-nil draw. Yeah. It was just, well, okay, I wasn't trying to get us to sync up, though. Oh. I was trying to give people a chance to turn away. But hey, I like this energy, Jordan. I like this energy. Before, though, before we get into this game, which I know you and I have quite a bit to talk about, even though the general feeling after this match was that it wasn't such an interesting game. So we'll talk about that. But first, we got to talk about the issues with the MLS's back tournament. Jordan, you and I focus more on the on-field side of things, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of things going on off the field directly impacting this tournament. With that in mind, I think we both realize it's important to direct people to someplace where they can get that detailed coverage of the medical situation. Do we know anybody who does that, Jordan? Um, I think I think we have two pals that do it, <laughs> Paul and Sam. Yeah, so why don't you go ahead and plug allocation disorder for our listeners? Yeah, you guys got to it's something that I listen to every single week. Uh, Paul and Sam are writers for The Athletic. They have a podcast on the Total Soccer Show feed called Allocation Disorder. Now, if you guys found us in uh, the Total Soccer feed, you probably know those guys as well. But if you didn't, just go listen to them because they are reporters. They do this for a living and they are doing a really good job of covering everything um, on and off the field when it comes to newsworthy stories. So, um, um, we're going to leave that part up to them and also just say, like, we we acknowledge and we addressing yeah, this, yeah. but we want to to let you guys know that they are the ones that are covering it to the detail that we feel like you guys will want to hear. And they're the ones who are positioned to cover it, right? They have the insight. They have the knowledge. We don't as much. And so us talking about it at great lengths would almost be a disservice. So I think acknowledging it and, and pointing people in the right direction is is really the way for us to go. And so I'm glad that we've we've done that. And we've talked about the situation surrounding the on-field stuff already through these first few daily shows. With that in mind, let's get into this uh, thrilling nil-nil draw. Jordan, I detect a little bit of sarcasm in your voice, but we both did really enjoy <laughs> this game. There was a lot of yeah, fun stuff in yeah. that first half, especially. Yeah, I think the first half brought a lot of... Um, I, I guess I didn't know what to expect. Well, we did and we didn't, right? You know the Seattle Sounders. We've seen them play. We've seen them win championships. But then the earthquakes, it's like, are they going to do what they've always done with this man-marking system that Almeida has and he wants to implement? I just, I honestly felt a little nervous. Like, are they going to be able to man-mark the whole entire 90 minutes in this tournament where players haven't played in a while? So, um I think I kind of anticipated this game as something that I was just really intrigued to see how it played out. And we thought we were going to get goals. We ultimately did not get goals, yeah. but it felt like that was going to happen, especially in the opening few minutes. Both teams oh take the gosh. field in a 4-2-3-1. The Earthquakes are man-marking, even though we'd heard from a few different players. Well, not we specifically, but members of the media had heard <laughs> from a number of different Earthquakes players that maybe there was a little trick up Matias Almeida's sleeve. But they come out just like they have been, right? They come out man-marking in that 4-2-3-1. 
That was the trick. Yeah, it was. The trick was to throw people off of the actual trick, which is just to stay as is. The trick really was to completely throw or try to throw the other team off. And ultimately, Uh 30 seconds into the game, it was clear what the Earthquakes were trying to do. And the Sounders took advantage of that in the first five minutes or so in this match. That was the best attacking moments I think we saw from the Sounders early, early on in this game. Well, that was the first thing I had written down as something that I was like, ooh, five minutes in, uh, the ball was at the feet of Jordan Morris, and he was backed up against Tommy Thompson. And so this is what the Earthquakes are going to have, a bunch of one-on-one matchups throughout the entirety of the field, right? But they were really close to the top of the box, about 25 yards out. So when Morris lays the ball off to another one of his teammates, and I don't remember who it was in this moment, most likely Ladero, he lays the ball off, and then, Joe, he he runs parallel with the top of the box just from that left side of Seattle's attack to the central part of the field, almost into the right side. So then that, what does it do? Tommy Thompson runs with him all the way across the field, and there's this entire half of the field that is wide open and you thought wow if this is how it's going to go this is not going to be pretty for the earthquakes those direct runs from the sounders early on those purposeful movements quick sometimes with a little hesitation beforehand to freeze the defender that's i think really how you break down a man marking system and the sounders Mm -hmm. showed it really well early on with guys like morris and ladero and then the fullbacks as well leardam and nuhu i thought both did a really nice job of being vertical and purposeful with their movement well, what that play ended up what ha- ended up happening is Morris's run then freed up the space and knew who was in behind, bringing Espinoza, the defender for the Earthquakes, who's a winger, all the way back defending like an outside back. And now that's not where you want that player to be one playing or two defending, right? And so I think the the Sounders seemed like they had a grasp on how to beat the the Earthquakes early on, but then it just disappeared and i think it disappeared because the earthquakes dominated yeah they, their possession the earthquakes possession setup was really really patient and it gave their defensive struggles at the beginning of the game time to fade it took away the pressure that they felt early on from the sounders and let them settle into the game rest get their composure and start to try to break down that sounders block with some really nice interesting combinations i noticed especially on the right side they were loving that right side. Okay, tell me what you were seeing over there. So I, I want to focus on that right side a little bit more. In my notes, I have two different right-sided sets that the Earthquakes were okay. running in possession. So picture this. We've got the Earthquakes high up the field in the attacking half against the Sounders' low 4-4-2 block. They defended in that block for 20-25 minutes in that first half, just a, a pretty long stretch. So we get the Earthquakes high up the field in possession against that Sounders shape. So much in the first half, especially, it was Christian Espinoza playing as the right winger and Tommy Thompson playing as the right back. So set number one, I want I want to call it double wide. And this is a really like American okay. football kind of thing. <laughs> but I think the terminology is helpful so we can picture it. Double wide happens when Christian Espinoza is wide right, almost on the touchline. And then Tommy Thompson, the right back, comes up and doesn't underlap him. He also overlaps. So there's two players really, really wide on the sideline. What does that do, Jordan? Well, that brings over Seattle's left midfielder and left back to deal with those two attacking players. You shift those two players out wide, and then there's a channel right there on the half space, right at the edge of the right side of the box that's open. And the Earthquakes didn't do a great job of taking advantage of that. Otherwise, I think they actually would have scored. 
but the space was there and it's something that Almeida should go back to later on. So before I go to the second set, did you notice that at all? And if you did, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I did notice it. And I did notice, actually, I think there was an opportunity for the earthquakes when that was that double wide was in progress for the ball to get cut back to a player in that half space. Yes. And it was, uh, the player took too many touches. And I think it was Espinosa on the ball. And this is the thing that I think people have to realize. There are so many good things that we've seen through the entirety of these matches. There are good things. Yeah, there's there's things that haven't been executed properly as well. This being one of them. But when you're talking about goals, you and I, you texted me this the other day. Goals are hard to score. And when you're coming off of a long break, whether it's out of a pre, into a preseason and into a season or this um, a pandemic where we've never experienced anything like this, the very last thing to come together as a team is your, your final third, how you score goals, what your final pass is like, the amount of touches that you have in key moments or don't have, right? And I think we saw an example of that, that these, this way that the earthquakes want to play, you can see the glimpses of, okay, this is going to work. But it, there was just things that were off slightly. And that's just, they have to play more games and it will start to develop in the final third there. So that's that's set number one, double wide. The second okay. set I want to call inside out. Another another quick terminology. Do we have three man weave coming up at all anywhere? <laughs> no three man weave. No um no end around. <laughs> no reverses. Any of that stuff. So inside out is Tommy Thompson on the ball on the right side and Christian Espinosa starting in a more central position, almost in that half space, or maybe even in the middle channel of the field, that middle corridor, and moving out. That's it. Like it's very simple. Mm-hmm. Christian Espinosa makes that inside out run right into sort of the Man City zone. It's that zone right at yeah. the edge of the box, right against the, the right side of the box to get the ball from Thompson and try to create. Who did we see do this already in this tournament? Aronson. I feel like that, that's a that's a run that Aronson very similar loves situation. To yeah, absolutely. It's that it's that move that's really hard for the opposing fullback to detect because he's left to decide. Do I go, and in this case, do I go and step to Thompson? Do I try to block the pass? Do I drop and try to cover Espinosa's movement, if I've even seen it at that point? That movement was almost even more goal dangerous for the Quakes. They got a nice cross from Espinosa into, into Rios right at the six-yard box that almost scored. But those two sets for the Quakes, really, really dangerous, nearly effective. And I, I enjoyed seeing how Mateus Almeida focused on that really strong right side in possession. Yeah, I... I would agree. And I like how you gave them two very distinct names because I think it gives a good representation of what they are, that they these two players can be playing in the same position but execute something totally different that demands something different of the defensive unit who was the Sounders in this game, right? And I think the Sounders were really they had dropped so deep their lines were so close to each other they didn't know who were who was going to step and who was going to stay that i feel like it really benefited the earthquakes because there was so much space i mean um the midfield of the earthquakes were having a heyday yeah. in there just zipping balls and i noted uh jackson Ewell got the ball and um the Sounders were so pressed back and they started someone, a couple of players started to press the ball. And so these gaps open and Yule threads the needle cro- across the grain and takes out six defenders. And I think that is so important because there was patience in the way that this, 
this Earthquakes team was playing. And I think so much attention goes to how they defend, but I was more intrigued on how they were attacking, like you just also pointed out. Uh, One thing that I'm confused about how the Earthquakes attack is why on earth do they take so many shots from outside the box? There are shots from the wingers, there are shots from Jackson Ewell, from the forwards. Everybody shoots from outside the box and almost no one is ever there for a rebound. Because if you're going to shoot from from distance, which is mathematically just not the best idea in the first place, at least have runners crashing the box to try to tap it in, assuming Stefan Fry or whoever the opposing goalkeeper is, is going to just parry it away. That part baffles me. Or shoot from distance and... and give that look from maybe a couple different players. So then you shoot from distance one time, then the player comes out defensively to try to block it, and you fake like you're going to shoot, and something else will open up. You know, you almost use it as a decoy and use it early in the game to say, okay, I don't really want to do that. I will if you're not going to pressure me. But I agree, it was happening far too often and it even happened from wando late in the game and we know wando like dude you score in the six like (laughs) we want you closer to the goal and he scores a lot i love wando yeah i I don't know i it does seem to be a (laughs) team-wide thing like it's not one player going rogue and deciding that okay i need to get mine and so i'm gonna shoot it's like six or seven players it's six or seven players on this team taking shots from distance but that's a that's a separate pet peeve i suppose One of the things I wanted to talk about, Joe, I know we're still, I'm just bouncing this idea out, is I feel like San Jose is really good on, in dribbling out of pressure. Hmm. They are. I agree with you. There was a sequence in, in the second half on the right side of the field that I'm just thinking about now, where it's, it's a center back and it's Tommy Thompson playing out of pressure. So this is kind of what my brain was thinking might be the answer. Because they train in this man-marking system day in, day out, on the attacking side, it almost sets them up to be comfortable dribbling, dribbling out of pressure in in various situations because they see it every single day and they have to execute it in order to be mm. successful and maybe get that spot in the starting lineup or make that next step in their team. That's such a great point. One thing I was thinking about in this match is, is the man-marking punishes offensive mistakes right? It also can be taken advantage of very easily, but the margin for error with the attacking team is so, so small. It punishes poor passes. It punishes long touches. It punishes poor positioning. So if you're going up against that every single day in training, you're going to learn by force of habit not to make those mistakes as often and to be crisp with the ball and to be disciplined with how you're passing and how you're moving and how you're playing out of that tight pressure And we definitely see the Earthquakes look crisp in possession, more so than a lot of other MLS teams. I think Mm -hmm. because, or at least partly because of what you just said, Jordan, because of that training environment. Yeah, I just had never thought about that before. And when I was watching this game, I was like, wow, they make it look, they make look, they make dribbling under pressure look easy in a lot of instances. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I would be like, I've been there, right? And where I'm like, I don't want to dribble out of this. I'd rather just pass it back to my goalkeeper. But they've instilled this confidence within them through training. So we've gone deep into San Jose and they're sort of half of this nil-nil draw because they were the more interesting team to watch in this game. To be Just to be mm-hmm. honest and transparent with our listeners, that's our perspective. I think that speaks for both of us here. Yeah. But Seattle also played in this game, Jordan. And they, they spent a lot of time defending and doing... A decent job of it. It almost sort of harkened back for me 
to the LAFC game from the Western Conference final last season. Much lower stakes, much different environment, yes. But the way they sat deep in that block and ultimately were not broken down and limited most of San Jose's shots to being from outside the box, that's a win at least in that low block for Brian Schmetzer. There are other things I'm sure he would have done differently and liked to see. But the fact that, that the Seattle Sounders stopped the Earthquakes from getting a lot of dangerous, high potential attacking chances, that is a credit to the Sounders. I would agree. And I think that it does show we don't know how this tournament is going to play out. Right. In the sense of the depth of these teams and how difficult the number of games are going to be in quick succession. And I think one of the things that we saw from the earthquakes and why the first half was more exciting was because the pace was there. Right. There was there was a higher intensity in pace of the game. I think that just made me think, oh, how how is this happening? This isn't what we've seen yet. And I think it suffered in general. Both teams suffered in the second half. But if you're Seattle, you could see towards the end, they had a little bit more in, in the tank, right? Because maybe they weren't ex- exerting so much pressure, chasing players around the field, man marking. So will that pay off for Schmetzer and the Sounders? Potentially, you know, if if you're a good defensive team and you made it, make it hard for another team to score against you, I think uh, you're going to be happy not giving up any goals, right? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. One of the things I thought Seattle could have done better, and and we talked about just their their ability to break this earthquakes man-on-man marking. I thought Svensson could have done a little bit more when the Sounders did get the ball and start to attack because he didn't leave that pocket of space and he was protecting the back line so much, which he does very well. He does that very sure. well. But because he did that, he left Erickson in this spot where he didn't have to work defensively. Hmm. And I thought Erickson was a really good player for the Earthquakes because he provided that outlet to either switch the point of attack or hold the ball and let players come swarm around him so he had other options. And I think that Svensson could have played that game a little bit more. I wanted to see a little bit more from that matchup. We didn't see a whole lot from the Sounders offensively in a lot of moments outside of that opening flurry at the start of the game, but very sporadic. We didn't see a whole lot of attacking impetus from the Sounders at all, which I think is partly because of the weirdness and the strange thing that it is to play (laughs) against the Earthquakes. But still, I I appreciate that idea that Svensson could have been more aggressive pushing forward. I mean, it paid off for Inter Miami just a few days ago. Victor Ulloa pushing forward led to that goal that opened this tournament in the first place for for Inter Miami back a couple of days ago. I don't even remember what day it was now. But that that idea (laughs) is sound. Sometimes you have to take risks and push people forward even if that means leaving some defensive vulnerabilities because you might actually want to get on the scoreboard. And it might be more important against a team like San Jose who man marks because then you're taking that player out of the pocket that they want to create in and you're dragging them out of that spot where they can then counter you or create in their attacking transition. So that's why I think it would have been more fun to just kind of see how that worked out. Let the chaos reign, Jordan. Let the chaos reign. Uh, There's so much more we could dig into from this game, but I think that is a good rounding spot. We'll talk more about both of these teams throughout the tournament. So there are things we didn't get to that we'll have plenty of time left over the next month or so to dig into some of those things. And Joe, really quick, because there was a lot of stoppage time in this last game that we just watched. I'm going to add a little stoppage time for this. (laughs) 
I really like the ability to hear the players on the field. At one point in the second half, you could hear Almeida on the sidelines screening, screaming, patience, 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 as his team built the ball up and switched the point of attack. And when they switched the point of attack, you heard the whole bench clapping and yelling. Cheering. And I was like... I got chills because, like, that's what it's like to be a player in that game. And now people get to feel that, too, which is su- super cool. The environment of watching these games without the crowd noise feels normal to me now. And I enjoy those little details that we can yeah. pick up that we would never have had a chance right. to before. So I just had to add that in there. That was a worthy stoppage time. Jordan, <laughs> thanks for chatting with me. And we'll be back again after Saturday, July 11th, slate of MLS games. All right. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.